The following sermon was delivered by Pastor Frank Griffith in the Sunday morning service at Calvary Community Church in Brentwood, California. You'll find more information at calvarytruth.org. Last week we uh, talked about how grace works. And we saw that grace works through relationship. And it's impossible to live the Christian life in isolation. It may sound like it would be easier, and in some ways it would, if you were living out in the desert and all you did was talk to lizards every day, you could probably do pretty well. But uh, we actually live out grace in our lives through relationships, and then grace works through, that is, it produces works through weakness, with fear and trembling, we're told. Fear and trembling has the idea that we recognize it's God who is the one who has told us and instructed us how we are to live out this grace that he has given to us. And so uh, Paul says, um, work out your salvation in fear and trembling because it is God who works in you to be willing or desiring and to be doing of his good pleasure. And then we saw that grace works through divine enablement. It's God who actually empowers us. Today we want to look at how grace does not work. What are we not supposed to be doing in our relationships with each other as we live out the Christian life together as the people of God? And uh, that's what we want to look at today. I just want to answer two questions. What does that mean and why is it so important? Because it's crucially important. So what does it mean? Well, if you notice this passage. Well, in fact, before I go there, I'd like you to turn back with me to John. Look back at John 13. This is Jesus instructing the disciples on the night he's going to be arrested. They have gathered to eat the Passover together and he's going to institute the Lord's Supper. And he gives them some instructions. This is chapter 13, beginning in verse 21. Listen to what Jesus told his disciples. And we are his disciples today. When Jesus had said this, he became troubled in spirit and he testified and said, truly, truly, I say to you that one of you will betray me. The disciples began looking to one another at a loss of to know which one of them was he was speaking about who was going to betray him. There was reclining on Jesus' bosom one of his disciples whom Jesus loved. That was Peter. That was John rather. So Simon Peter uh, gestured to John and said to him, tell us who, who it is of whom he's speaking. And John, leaning back on the bosom of Jesus, you wonder, what are they doing? Well, they reclined at table. And so uh, Jesus was right behind John as they reclined at table. That is, you would rest on one elbow and use your other hand to get the food off the table. Sounds like a great way to have a meal, doesn't it? And that's how it was done. And so Simon Peter gestured to him and asked him to tell him, John, to tell him who this was he was speaking of. And so he leaned back on Jesus' bosom and said to him, this is John speaking to Jesus, Lord, who is it? Who is going to betray you? Jesus then answered, that is the one for whom I shall dip the morsel and give to him. So when he had dipped the morsel, he took and gave it to Judas the son of Simon Iscariot. After the morsel, Satan then entered into him. Therefore, Jesus said to him, what you do, do it quickly. Now, the other disciples heard him say these words to Judas, and they wondered what he was talking about. And it says, now no one of those reclining at table knew for what purpose he had said this to him. What you're going to do, go and do it quickly. 
for some were supposing because Judas had the money box that Jesus was saying to him, buy the things we need for the feast or else that he should give something to the poor. So after receiving the morsel, he went out immediately and it was night. He went out to betray Jesus and Jesus knows this. Therefore, when he had gone out, Jesus said, now is the son of man glorified. This is his favorite way of referring to himself, the son of man, which is, is a name right out of Daniel 7, when the son of man, that is God's eternal son who became a man, so he's referred to as the son of man. He said, the son of man is going to be glorified and God is glorified in him. And the guy that's going to betray him just went out. And what's going to happen because of that betrayal, he's going to be beaten and he's going to suffer and be tried and convicted and then crucified. But he says he's going to be glorified in this. I wonder, if, have you ever thought that your suffering was some kind of glorification of God and his faithfulness in your life? He says in verse 32, if God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself. That is, he's going to glorify the son in himself and will glorify him immediately because he's just about to be arrested that same night. Little children, I am with you a little while longer. You will seek me. And as I said to the Jews, now I also say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. He's going to leave them. A new commandment I give to you. So get this. I mean, you get the context. He's just told them he's going to leave them. And now he says, I have a new commandment for you. And here's the commandment. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. Now what they're going to see over the next two days is Jesus loved them in a way that's immeasurable. How could it be possible for us to love one another the way Jesus has loved us? By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered, where I go, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow me later. God has his timing. Imagine this moment where Jesus gives this commandment that we should love one another as Christ has loved us. Now, what Paul's going to talk about in Philippians 2 is the greatest roadblock to obeying this commandment. And it's found right here in this passage. And it's really twofold. It's grumbling and disputing. Grumbling and disputing. And notice what he says back in Philippians 2, verse uh, 14. Do all things without grumbling or disputing. Do all things without grumbling or disputing. How many of you would like your spouse to obey that commandment? Oh, you're in big trouble. (laughs) Grumbling and disputing so that you will prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent children of God above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom appear as lights to the world. You appear as lights to the world. Now what he's saying is those who follow Christ are like lights to the world. And part of that, at the very heart of it, is the way we live. No grumbling and disputing. I just want to make a disclaimer here. I'm not perfect in this area. I have grumbled before. It was really interesting the other day. I, uh, I mean, not too long ago, just got a couple of weeks. I was talking to somebody, and they were really grumbling about things. And they were just so dissatisfied with the way things were going. And I was getting kind of tired of hearing it. 
And then immediately I thought, it was probably the Holy Spirit, I thought, I'm exactly like that. That's why I don't like to hear it, because I can get just like that and start grumbling and and complaining about everything. But he says, we've been put in this generation to hold fast the word of life so that in the day of Christ, when Jesus comes back, I will have reasons to glory because I did not run nor in vain or toil in vain. In other words, my work for you, my pouring myself out for you, he says. He's in prison now and he's writing to them. And he's, and he's suffering for what he has done in preaching the gospel. He said, but even if I am being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I rejoice and share my joy with you all. You too, I urge you, rejoice in the same way and share your joy with me. So what does all this mean? Well, grumbling means a secret, sullen discontent, expressing it. It's what you say behind somebody's back. You don't say it out loud in front of them. You don't speak this to them. You talk about them behind their back. You grumble and complain about them. They are making you uncomfortable and life harder for you. So you complain, this displeasure. Then he adds, in other words, disputing. Now, disputing is what you would say to a person. It's getting in their face. You've heard that expression, right? That's what it means. Getting in their face and telling them what you think about them. It's what you would say to somebody's face. In chapter 3, Paul implies that some of them were listening to those who were engaging in speculations that only result in futile arguments. And it had the capacity to tear this community apart. And so he confronts them. In fact, in another book, in Galatians 5, this is one of my favorite verses in the Bible. Paul says to the Galatians, he's he's confronting them about fighting with each other with words. And he says, but if you bite and devour one another, take care that you are not consumed by one another. You know, we can do great damage to each other. It's real easy. We can murmur, we can grumble, and we can dispute. And Paul is saying these hurtful actions must go. And with them all other actions that promote disunity within the church of Jesus Christ. Does that mean I'm never supposed to tell you something that you don't want to hear? Obviously not. Remember in John 17, 3, that Jesus said, he says that you need to be prepared. You need to be alert in your Christian life. And if your brother sins, rebuke him. That means tell him the truth about what he's done. When he repents, forgive him. See, one of the great things about the fact that we're not perfect yet, that we still at times need to be rebuked by those close to us, is that we get to, to forgive each other. And that's what we are. We are the, a community of the forgiven and the forgiving. That's what God has called us to do. And so he's telling them that they, this has to stop. I, I got to turn you back to Ephesians if, if I could, just one book back. Ephesians chapter 4. This is a passage of scripture that every pastor I know uses in premarital counseling. In Ephesians chapter 4. And sometimes they call it, this is how to be godly and have a fight. Or how to remain godly while you have an argument. Now usually it takes about a year before you have your first argument, right? <laughs> oh, maybe a week. But this is, what, this is what Paul says. He's talking about our life together as the people of God. 
So it certainly applies to married couples who are believers, but it applies to all of us in our relationship with each other. This is what he says. Therefore, laying aside falsehood, that is lying. You know, sometimes we lie to people because we don't want to hurt their feelings or we don't want them to think badly of us. That's what he's saying. Stop lying. This, in this whole passage, he keeps telling them, you need to put this off and put this on. So you put off lying and falsehood and you put on truth. And he says, speak truth, each one of you, with his neighbor because we are members one of another. Right? You know what that is theologically, what the Bible says, we are members one of another because we've been baptized by one spirit we were baptized or in one spirit we were baptized into one body. And so we're members one of another. And so this analogy or this metaphor of the church being a body, Christ being the head, means that we are very closely related. And so he says we have to speak truth to each other in love. And the very next verse, he says, be angry. Notice that. You might read that, don't be angry, but that's not what it says. It says be angry, right? You see that? Be angry and yet do not sin. And do not let the sun go down on your anger. Don't let it wait until tomorrow to deal with it. There's times to be angry, right? Somebody attacks somebody in your family. You want to be angry with them. So he says, be angry, but don't sin. Don't sin in your anger. Why would he say this? Because it's very difficult to be angry without sinning. Usually when we get angry, we sin. But he says, be angry and yet do not sin. And don't, go, don't let the sun go down on your wrath. That's great instructions for married couples. Don't let the sun go down on your wrath. Settle the issue before you go to sleep. And he says, and do not grieve I do not give the devil an opportunity. The devil wants to divide us. The Bible speaks of the devil as a real spirit being, a real person who really exists. And one of the things that he loves to do is to divide believers, to separate them, to destroy their unity. So he says, don't give the devil an opportunity. And that's why he says, deal with it now. If, if you're angry at me, come and talk to me. If you're angry with another brother or sister, go and talk to them. And the way we do it is we simply say, this is what you've done. And I don't think, sometimes what happens is we think they don't even realize the implications of what they've said or done. And sometimes they can correct us and say, no, I didn't say that. I'm sorry you heard that, but that wasn't me. I didn't say that. I didn't do that. Don't give the devil an opportunity to divide us. And then he goes on and he says, he who steals must steal no longer, but rather he must labor performing with his own hands what is good so that he will have something to share with one who has need. The reason that we know that God wants us to work and he wants to prosper us is so that we can share with others. He says, let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth. This is talking about in our relationships. Unwholesome means rotten. I don't have to go any further than that, do I? You understand what? rotten speech is, right? You all have TVs. So he says, uh, let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification. Edification is just a word to mean to build up, to help, to build up, to help a person who's downtrodden, build them up. So he says, just speak a word that is good for edification according to the need of the moment so that it will give grace to those who hear. 
Listen to that. You hear that? You can speak words. If we were to go back to Acts 2 and listen to the prophecy of Joel, he says when the Spirit is poured out upon God's people, all the people, not just a few prophets, but all the people are going to be able to be mouthpieces for God in building up one another. He's giving you the Holy Spirit so you can speak words that people need to hear. And that's your responsibility and my responsibility. It's giving grace to those who hear instead of a curse. And sometimes it feels like that, doesn't it? When you hear some believer complaining, grumbling, disputing, and instead of building it up, it's like tearing you down. And he says, no, use your speech to build one another up. And then get this, this is where I wanted to get to, verse 30. Stop grieving the Holy Spirit of God. That's the, impl- that's the implication of that verse. Stop grieving the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor. Clamor just means getting loud and intimidating people. Wrath, anger, get rid of this. Bitterness, bad-heartedness is the idea. Wrath, anger, clamor, and slander. Let it be put away from you along with all malice, with all bad-heartedness. Be kind to one another. That literally says become kind to one another. You know, sometimes we have to learn how to be kind through the Spirit of God and the Word of God. I was thinking as we were singing these songs, a lot of times we sing words and you're wondering, where in the world they get that? Well, typically, it's out of the Bible. Like we sing a song that has a refrain in it that says, he gives and takes away, he gives and takes away. And you're thinking, why would we sing that? Because that's exactly what Job said. He was praising God. He says, yes, God has a right to give and he has a right to take away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. He says, become kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ has also forgiven you. So we have this responsibility as members of the body of Christ to use our mouths, our spirit-anointed mouths, to communicate truth that builds up, right? Did you see that in the text? It's there. So I actually have to speak to fellow believers in a way that I, I can build them up and encourage them. That's my responsibility. I'm not to run from it. I'm not to isolate myself from other believers. I am to engage in ministry to them and with them, encouraging them, coming alongside them when they're discouraged and walking with them. And so when Paul tells the, the Philippians to stop grumbling, let there be no grumbling or disputing among you, because he's talking about the negative side of it. But instead, do what he says in Ephesians. Use language that builds up. Because you know what? I had a guy call me the other day long distance from another state talking to me about things and he said that uh, he didn't think there were churches where people acted like this. He'd never experienced it. I've experienced a lot of it, haven't you? Not just here, but in other churches I've been in. That believers encourage each other. They build up each other. That's what we're called to do. When I was in seminary at Talbot, uh, Charles Lee Feinberg was teaching his last year before he retired. Charles Feinberg was, uh, had been trained as a rabbi and then he got saved. He, had, he could quote any verse in the Bible. You could quote a verse, he knew where it was and he would quote the verse before and the verse after it. He was incredible and he was about five foot six. And uh, I was so impressed with him. 
And one day in class, I remember it was Old Testament introduction. It was a technical class. He says, men, you are in the school of the prophets. And I raised my hand and I wanted to straighten him out. (laughs) And I said, we're not prophets. This isn't the school of prophets. This is a school to train us how to preach the word of God. We have the word of God, the completed word of God. We're not going to prophesy. And he begged to differ with me. And he said, your mouths are now the instrument of God. And when you speak the truth of the word of God, you are speaking as someone who's putting out God's message to them. It's not that it's new revelation, but it is revelation because it's written right here. And he said, this is what we're training you to do is to speak the truth of the word of God with accuracy, clarity, and relevance. And I thought, you know what? That's really true, isn't it? And all of you have spirit-anointed mouths. And every time you use it to destroy people, you're grieving the Holy Spirit. What Ephesians 4 is talking about is using, don't use words as weapons against each other, but instead use words to build up one another, to draw others closer to Christ. And so when I use my words to tear somebody up, to rip somebody apart, the spirit is grieved. Why? Because he's the one who sealed us to the day of redemption. He saved that person that I was talking to, if, I was, if I've done that. I hope I haven't done that lately. <laughs> but it's easy, isn't it, to be upset with one another. And sometimes, it's, here's the assignment. If you see a brother overtaken in a fault, here's your assignment. You who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of meekness, knowing that you too could be tempted in the same manner. It's Galatians 6. So we have a responsibility to speak to each other. But not grumbling and disputing, but building up and encouraging. That's what we've been called to do. And so he says, grace doesn't work like this. It doesn't work through grumbling and disputing. I think I've already told you this, but I had a great awakening here the last couple of weeks because uh, I was in this dispute with this company who didn't want to fix my car that had been, I'd been rear-ended. And uh, it isn't bad, but I wanted it fixed. And uh, so they keep giving me the runaround. So I'm talking to this guy. He sent me a check, with, which was about one-fourth of what it's going to cost to fix. He's talking to me. I said, why did you send me this check? I'm, I'm all upset, you know. I know you don't think I get upset. But. And I'm just talking like 90 miles an hour. And he finally says to me, sir, would you mind letting me finish my sentence before you butt in? And I was humbled. Because not by him, but by God. And I said, yes, sir. And I shut my mouth. Well, it's hard, isn't it? It's hard to shut your mouth because you're trying to get a point across. And they're trying to get, they're trying to inform you of what's really going on. Or they think is going on. You have a mouth that has been anointed with the Holy Spirit. So when you sing... For example, when we all gather together and we sing praise to God, that's the right use of your mouths. We're expressing words, these glorious words, to God. And we're doing it with music and our hearts are being joined together. 
This is what Paul says in Ephesians 5 when he says, be filled with the Spirit. Do not be drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. Speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. What does he mean? He means that I should use words I've learned to build you up instead of tear you down. And then he says, and also singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. In other words, we worship God. We use our mouths to praise God. You remember what James said? He says, uh, it's, it's totally ridiculous for you to use your mouth to praise God and then to curse men. It's like you can't get good water and bad water out of the same well. And it shouldn't come out of your heart. Words of praise to God and words of condemnation to men. Grace doesn't work this way. It doesn't work through grumbling and disputing. I'm sure glad my wife isn't sitting here because she would quote those words to me this week, I'm sure. At some moment. Your mouth has been anointed and you're to use it to build up and to worship the living God. Build up one another and worship God. Listen to this. This is Mark 16, the end of the gospel of Mark. He says, and he said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. That's our assignment. You think, well, I'm not a preacher. You're a gospelizer. You have the gospel. You've believed the gospel. And you're supposed to communicate this gospel to others. If it's in a quiet conversation, in a coffee shop, or if it's standing before a group, we have been called to preach the gospel to the whole world, to all creation. He goes on, he says, he who has believed and has been baptized shall be saved, but he who has not, has disbelieved shall be condemned. These signs will accompany those who have believed. And he goes through some supernatural signs that are going to take place. And then he says, truly, truly, I say to you, this is right at the the end of this, I'm sorry. So then when the Lord Jesus had spoken to them, he was received up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. Where is Jesus right now? He's at the right hand of God. So get this. See, that's why he is now seated and reigning. And that's why he could say to his disciples in John 14, this, truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also and greater works than these greater works than Jesus. That's what he says. Greater works than these he will do because I go to the father. You get what's going on there? Jesus is seated at the right hand of God and he's reigning from that place right now and you are his mouthpiece in this world. You speak for him and you speak into one another's lives and the lives of other people. You speak truth and because he is seated at the right hand of God, he's going to do glorious things through us. In fact, he says we're going to do greater works than he has. Now that's I don't know how to explain that. That's just what it says in the Bible. Jesus said that. But get this, put that together with this. You know this passage real well. This is John 7, 30 and 39. Now on the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood up and cried out, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. He who who believes in me, out of his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. Now do you understand what that means? That doesn't just mean he's going to be really satisfied with this water. You remember in John 4 where Jesus said to the Samaritan woman, if you knew the gift of God and who it was who says to you, give me a drink, you would ask him and he would give you living water. The living water is very satisfying. It's the spirit of God at work in us. But guess why the spirit has come to take up residence in you? To empower you to use your mouth as an instrument of God. You see, that's much better than mumbling or complaining, isn't it? disputing. This is what he's called us to. 
The other side of that, of course, is we're to be building one another up in the faith. We are to proclaim the gospel to the world, and we're to claim the, the implications of the gospel to those who have believed it. God's blessed you far above anything that you can imagine. I had a guy talking to me, and he was, he was overwhelmed with just a sense of failure because he felt like he had, he was so, he's a believer, but he couldn't stop thinking about things in his life that just kept him discouraged and defeated and downtrodden. I said, well, you, you ought to believe what God is saying to you through his word and through Christ. He wants you to believe the truth that he has revealed to us in scripture about what it means to be saved and have the Holy Spirit living in us. And stop believing what your heart is saying. Uh, Solomon said that we should speak to our heart because our heart lies to us. Our heart tells us things that aren't true. And so we have to speak to our heart. We have to preach the gospel to our heart. Who are you anyway? Well, you're the redeemed. You're the people for whom Christ died and he gave life to. And now he wants to use your mouth and your life as an expression of truth to others. And so what, what Paul says in Ephesians 4.30 is stop grieving the Holy Spirit. In 1 Thessalonians 5.19, the same man, Paul, says stop quenching the Holy Spirit. What's the difference? Well, let me put it this way. Grieving the Spirit is when you use your mouth to say words that tear down and push away. And you quench the Holy Spirit when you refuse to speak what you know the Spirit wants you to speak. And you refuse to hear others who speak what you know that God wants them to speak to you. I'm not talking about somebody getting new revelation. I'm talking about the fact we have a finished revelation here. And if you think it doesn't say enough about the Christian life, you haven't read it because it is all over the New Testament how we're to live and relate to each other, how we're to love one another. And one of the ways we express our love for each other is speaking truth into one another's life. So let me ask you, are you grieving the Holy Spirit by using words as weapons against others? Does that ever happen? Think about that for a second. And secondly, I want to ask you, are you quenching the Spirit by resisting his work in using you as an encourager? and as gospelizer in other people's lives. Do you think you have to go to Bible college or go to seminary? No, you just need to open your mouth and speak the truth of the word of God. Oh, you gotta understand the Bible, right? You have to read it and seek to understand it and apply it to life. And when you see a, a fellow believer going through something and you know the truth of God, you can say to them, this is what the word of God says. Believe it, trust him. He's working in your life. He hasn't abandoned you. You may feel like he's abandoned you, but he hasn't. In fact, he says he will use this trial you're going through to build you up and to encourage you and to help you and push you along in your, in your faith in Christ. So I just want to encourage you, not only the negative, don't be mumbling and, and disputing. Don't be grumbling and disputing. But instead, use your mouth as instruments in the Redeemer's hands. If you're not used to looking at people in the face and seeing what's going on in their life, start. Start paying attention. You know, it's, it's, it isn't that difficult to look at somebody and know that they need a word of encouragement. Applied, the gospel applied to their situation, their life. And so I just want to encourage you to do that this week, today. Before you leave here, when you're talking to fellow believers, encourage them, build them up. 
your mouth has been anointed so that it can be used in that way. We're going to take communion together. So let me pray for you. Our Father, uh, we're so grateful that we come together as the people of God. We've been so blessed, so richly blessed by the Spirit of God that he's brought us to be joined to Christ. Our sins have been imputed to him. His righteousness has been imputed to us. The Spirit has come to live within us. And he's all the power we need in order to bear witness of Christ. I pray we would start believing that truth and acting upon it. That you actually have assigned us this glorious assignment of speaking the word of Christ to others. Help us to get our lives in order so that it would be a consistent thing for us to speak the truth of the gospel to others. Not an odd thing in light of the way we live. May our lives testify to you and testify to the world that you're a glorious God. Thank you so much for who you are and what you are doing in our lives. As we come to the Lord's table now, I pray you'd prepare our hearts. We want to come together, not because we're perfect, not because we've done everything we're supposed to do, but because we're believers in Jesus Christ. We have been forgiven. And so we celebrate this by coming to the Lord's table and taking of this loaf and drinking from this cup. The loaf, which represents his body, which was given for us, and the cup, which represents the new covenant that you've made in his blood so that we have a perfect standing before you, Father. Please bless this time. May the truth of what we're doing now in taking the Lord's Supper would sink deep into our hearts, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. To respond to this message or learn more, please visit calvarytruth.org.